Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About. If you can hear the step in my voice, we're going to have a cracker of a show today. I think we're going to giggle a lot, and I think we're going to bring out some really, really cool stuff uh, with Ryan. Ryan, thank you very much for being on the show. Martin, thank you for having me. This is a pleasure of uh, to be here and to be with you today. Fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so we, so Ryan and I are giggling on the title of the show today. So Ryan, what is the title of the show? The title of the show today is The Three-Legged Stool That the Orangutan Sits On. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into that. I mean, we kind of were brainstorming this earlier. And, uh, you know, I, I like quirky. It seems like you like quirky, you know. But this is this all going to tie together, I think, as we, uh, as we talk through this. So, And you know what? Let's keep the suspense going. Let's let's do like a Netflix show where there's like episodes where people don't get to, they only get one leg of that stool every episode. No, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> Ryan, can you introduce yourself? Who are you? So what I like to do is make sure that we give the listeners and the people watching some context on who you are, where you grew up so that it it really fulfills the episode by putting some narrative around who Ryan is. So name, rank, position, no, I'm just teasing. Just what do you do for a living? What's your history and, and all that good stuff? Yeah, so I'll try to give you a very quick snapshot of my history. I, uh, I started, well, I grew up in the Chicagoland area in Northern Illinois. I started my first business at 15 years old and uh, in that was the way I was going to pay my way through college. And mm -hmm. that business is now run by my youngest brother. My youngest brother now has built it into a uh, $10 million plus dollar business, annual business, and uh, is, is very successful, known all over the Chicago suburbs. And, uh, and, and that's what is when it? I got what my is start. it? Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> so I started mowing lawns when I was uh, huh. when I was 15 years old and, uh, and then passed it down to my next brother who passed it down to our youngest brother. And he doesn't mow any lawns anymore, but it's mm -hmm. all fertilizer, weed control, uh, pest control, those type of things, uh, mosquito control. And uh, and he's, his business has just exploded. He's got multiple locations and wow. dozens of trucks and things like that. So it's uh, it's it's really exciting. I'm very proud of him for what he's carried on and, and how yeah. that built. Uh, but then I went to college and I got degrees in chemistry and finance and uh, and started working for a big multinational. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fall asleep on me yet. This is not the, the story hasn't ended yet. Uh, you know, but I got degrees in chemistry and finance. Went to work for a big multinational. They moved me and my family seven times in 17 years. We moved to Asia and back twice. And uh, the last move, they wanted us to go to Germany. And I was there. I said yes. I called my wife. She was still in the Philippines. I'm like, hey, are we really moving to Germany? And we both just had this feeling. Now, oh, you know what? It's time. It's kind of time to be done. There were some. You know, family, we've got four children, and mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was a lot of moving for them. So we decided to move back by family and to start my own business about mm -hmm. a little bit over six years ago now uh, that I cut the uh, corporate cord and started my own business again and uh, have been on the uh, the journey of an entrepreneur again for the past six years, have, having a lot of fun. So uh, I, yeah. I talk about this quite frequently because I think it's important for the listeners to understand um, – entrepreneurship people think oh you're born an entrepreneur you're an entrepreneur all your life blah, blah, blah. It, it, that's that's horse poop that's bullshit because it's it's life when i started my career i was in the military grew up you know moved on the ranks left the military went for public service mining industry it, like i worked for big corporations and how can you understand what a big business needs if you've not been in a big business so you know for all these younger you know, they call themselves CEO. I call them chief everything officers, right? How many people are in your business? Uh, three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're not a CEO. So yeah. I think, Ryan, I think you've demonstrated a great, like you started off entrepreneur, went to school, learned, did a corporate stint. You're kind of like, yeah, you know what? So what was the, 
what was the trigger? Because I mean, I'm assuming that you were safe, right? So you're getting paid a lot of money. I, I made fun of you sleeping, but chemistry and, and economics, man, talk about making money, though. The two, you know, very good professions to be able to generate a lot of, of a, a, you know, hefty paycheck. So, yeah. Um, so what was kind of the trigger point in your family? I know the moving, but what was kind of like, you know, no. Like, no, I'm not yeah. doing this. Yeah. You know, it, uh, there, there were a couple of things that happened. One was on the business side and one was, uh, one was the family side, mm-hmm. uh, the, on the business side, you know, I, I was progressing up through the ranks. I mean, I was living in the Philippines, uh, my second to last role. I was living in the Philippines, managing a couple hundred people there, had a global role where I had direct employees in uh, Slovakia in uh, China in Mexico and, uh, and, and things were going well, but, uh, and I, I tell you know part of this story in my in the book that I've got is mm-hmm. you know I had risen at a point where I had a couple hundred employees and I started having chest pains. I started oh having these chest pains living in the Philippines and I went to see this Filipino doctor and uh, and when I went into his office he asked me four questions that really started changing my life. the 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 first one he asked me was he said so uh, he says what brings you into my office today and I said well. I'm experiencing some chest pain. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what's going on, but experiencing some chest pain. And he said, well, tell me a little bit about your work. Is it stressful? And I said, no, I manage 180 people on night shift. They're great people though. I mean, I love the people mm-hmm. in the Philippines. It was fantastic. And, uh, and he said, oh, well, so how much, uh, how much coffee do you drink? And I said, well, I drink a couple of Americanos every night to stay awake because I manage all these people on night shift. And he said, so, uh, how much sleep do you get? And I said, well, I don't sleep much because I drink a couple of Americanos every night to stay awake for night shift. <laughs> and he asked me this fourth question and he said, you know, uh, so how much exercise do you get? And I said, well, I don't exercise much because I always tired because I don't sleep because I drink too, yeah. right? Like, I, like I was connecting these dots together and, uh, and he just looked at me and he said, you know, Ryan, you seem like a smart guy. You don't need medicine. You don't need tests. I think you're going to figure this out. How, and then he said, how, how are you enjoying your time in the Philippines otherwise? And I just looked across the desk at him. This is not what an American expects, right? We go to the doctor and it's like, no, give me a test. Give me, you know, you're supposed to give me some tests. You're supposed to give me some medications. Like, you know, do I need open heart surgery yet? Like, you know, and this guy just looked across at me. It was literally those four or five questions that led him to, you don't need tests. You don't need medication. You seem like a smart guy. You're going to figure this out. And, and I started, that was a moment where I really started reflecting on what am I doing and who am I and, and where are we going with this? And, uh, and I have a, my son who's 20 years old now, um, at the time he was probably 14 years old. He looked at me one day and he said, you know, dad, I don't want to make friends here because I'll just have to say goodbye. Oh, and that was like a my. knife in the chest. Oh, yeah. started think? like, it was just like twisting, right? And I'm like, oh my. wow, what are we doing, right? And uh, it, it, so it was just sort of that culmination of those couple of things that, uh, that I said, you know what? I started a company when I was 15. I've seen how successful it grew. Mm-hmm. Um, it was successful when I had it, but it's grown even more successful over time. And, uh, and we can do this again. And, uh, and so we ended up moving back to New Jersey. I was the global uh, technology manager of about a half a billion dollar portfolio for that company oh, nice. at the time. And, uh, and things were going well, but you know, my dad had some heart issues and I'm like, you know what, it's, it's time to move back by family. And, uh, and that's, that's ultimately what we decided to do. And I think it was uh, 2016. So early 2016, a little bit over six years ago now. Do you, yeah. do you remember where you were like physically when you made the decision, like the final no, do you remember? You remember for me? I I do. Yeah. I mean the 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 real final decision. We were we were in New Jersey, and I can actually remember. Um, actually, it's sort of a funny story. A, a great mentor of mine for a number of years. I had called him while we were still in the Philippines. I uh, tried calling him, left him a message, and I didn't hear back from him for for quite a while. It was probably six, seven, eight months later. And he called me one day and I was at the, I was at our office in New Jersey and I walked out to the parking lot and, and, uh, and I was just on the phone talking to him 
And I said, hey, Brian, tell me about this. I, I've been contemplating this, right? Mm -hmm. Tell me about your experience going from corporate to entrepreneurial, you know, what? And he said, you know what? Come out and visit me for a weekend. I, I went out and spent the weekend with him and his wife and walked him through kind of my business plan and the ideas I had. And, mm -hmm. and I said, you know, Brian, tell me I'm being, tell me I'm nuts, right? Tell me, mm -hmm. <laughs> tell yeah, me to yeah. go back to New Jersey and, and go back to my <laughs> office and stay there, right? And, but he didn't. Right. He uh, uh, that was that was a very life changing conversation. So it's not that it was just only one thing, but there were just a sequence of things that just kept open doors, kept opening. And uh, and, and but that, that call in that parking lot that day was really the moment when I knew that things were going You're to change. Ch yeah. 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 It, for for us at our company, we one of the things that well, not one. The one thing that I ask all of the owners or founders that we deal with is are you ready? And they go, what? Like, are you ready for the next step? Because if you're not, if you're not ready and willing to let go of your past, you're not ready and willing to change, then don't even talk to us. Like you, yeah. you I can't roll you up. I can't, I can't bring you in. I can't sell your company. I can't do any of that if you're not mentally ready to do so. And you yeah. need to answer these questions and your wife needs to answer or your partner, whoever you have, it, you need to be able to answer that. And when I ask your partner, he or she better answer the same questions as, as they better understand that because they, they it's this is a life changing event. I remember I was it was somewhere around March. It was kind of a transition. I've been in Africa for eight weeks. I get home. I'm trying to make myself a cup of tea at three o'clock in the morning because I was jet lagged and I couldn't find the goddamn teaspoons in my house. I lost it. I lost it. I was like, there is more profanity done in that. <laughs> <laughs> what the? I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I am done. I had teams. I had everything. I said, I am. I'm done. And that was, I mean, I had started my entrepreneurial journey, but more as a consultant. So I wasn't really, I was just like, oh, I'm really good at this. I'm just going to keep on doing this. But my entrepreneur really started when I, I built a, a tech company and, and I was like, oh, I'm good at this. Maybe I can do this again. And then went twice at it. And I was like, oh, shit, I can do this more than, <laughs> right? So that's where we're, our business lays today. Um, so thank you. So. Let's talk about the title of the show because I think people have waited long enough. <laughs> so why the so break that down? Who's the let's go from top down? Who and what is the orangutan? So I mean, first of all, I consider myself an orangutan most of the time okay. when I when I think about this stuff. But the the real orangutan uh, is a, is an orangutan called Fu Manchu. At uh, he lived at the Henry Dorley Zoo in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. For uh, for, I, I don't know, I don't remember the exact years, but mm -hmm. we, we were kind of joking about PowerPoint earlier. So, uh, so probably about five, four or five years into my corporate career, I was doing a lot of training of other people mm -hmm. and I had these massive PowerPoint decks and one of the slides uh, said on it, what's required for change. And there were three things. It was a triangle and it said tools, skills, and mindset. And I was in a corporate training role where I was training people and I would get to this slide and I was like, I don't know, I guess it's self-explanatory, right? Like that's what's required. You need tools, <laughs> skills, and mindset. And, uh, but, but I always like to relate things to real mm -hmm. life. And so my, our twins were probably about four or five years old at the time. And we were at the Henry Dorley Zoo mm -hmm. and we're standing there and we're looking at the orangutans. My kids are, are looking at the orangutans and I'm reading this big plaque on the wall. And, and this big plaque on the wall talks about the story of Fu Manchu and, uh, and the head zookeeper at the zoo who was getting upset at the junior zookeepers. He was getting upset at them because the orangutans kept getting out and he thought somebody's being <laughs> careless. Somebody's being careless. Somebody just, why are my junior zookeepers? Why are my junior employees not following directions? Why are they not? locking the cage yeah and uh and but the the orangutans kept getting out of the cage and uh and and one day one of the uh, one of the junior zookeepers was at at the orangutan enclosure mm -hmm. and saw fu manchu kind of scale this wall and go over to the door 
And uh, and he started playing around with the lock at the door. And all of a sudden, the, do- the door pops open. And Fu Manchu walks out. And all the other orangutans go and follow him and make a mess of the park. Right? You can Google this. This is this is a real story. I, I'm sitting there reading this, this plaque thinking about the most boring PowerPoint slide that I've got in my deck and thinking <laughs> – this is it. This is actually, this is, this is the story, right? And, uh, and I started thinking about the tools, skills, and mindset. And when they, when they, uh, tranquilized Fu Manchu, they, they shot him with the tranquilizer. He's laying mm-hmm. there. They're like, how did he get out of the cage? And, and they go and they find, and they find that he had had a piece of wire that he stuck up like uh, by his gum line. That was uh, like a wire that he had broken off of one of the lights, yeah. right? The, the little piece of wire. And that's what he was using to pick the lock. And he was hiding it like a retainer up by his gum line. So he was really clever. He had a tool. He had found a tool. He had the skills, right? And a ragatang has the opposable thumbs and, yeah, yeah. and the brain power to figure this out. And he had the mindset. He wanted to get out of the cage. He wanted to do something different. And I started equating this all together. And, and they took away that one thing. They took away that tool. And now all of a sudden, he still had the skills, right? You can't take the skills yeah. away from the orangutan. He still had the mindset, I'm sure. He probably became more frustrated that he no longer had a tool to get out of the cage. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. still had two of them, but he couldn't get out of the cage because they took away the uh, the tool. On the other hand, I started I, – I, I, mean, I was just reflecting. I'm standing there. I'm like, what about the zebra? A zebra wants to get out of the cage. Yeah. A zebra – you could throw a key to a zebra, right? You actually give him a key. He but wouldn't know what to do. He wouldn't he know. What, he'd probably try to eat it, right? He'd probably like <laughs> sniff around, try to eat it. He's not going to get out of the cage. And and the third one, if the mindset is missing, if Fu Manchu is happy eating bananas and having somebody clean up his crap, then guess what? Not getting out of the cage. And uh, and so this sort of became a defining story that I've told throughout my career. And uh, and my kids kind of joke about it. They're like. This is the reason we moved to Asia twice is because dad told this story to some executive who's like, that's it. This guy gets it. Right. <laughs> but it, 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 you know, as you think about our, our purpose in life, the people around us, the processes we use, that three legged stool, tool, skills, mindset, however you want to think about it. It's, uh, you know, well, I, I, I mean, we, the, the title of your show is what CEOs talk about. And, uh, about a year ago, I was talking to the president of a company and I, I shared that story with him and he looked at me and he said, you know, my employees have lots of tools and I give them lots of training. So they've got tools and skills that they, they have. They have poor mindsets. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. And I asked him a really challenging question. I said, you know, do you hire unmotivated people or have they become that way over time? Mm hmm. And, uh, and I wasn't sure that's kind of a risky move for someone who's, you know, yeah, trying yeah. to win some business, but, uh, but he sat back in his chair and started reflecting on it. And, uh, and that realization that he was hiring good people, he was hiring smart people, but the culture of what they were doing was, was sort of dragging the mindset down of his, of his team. And, uh, and so I, I've, you know, throughout my career, no matter where I've been thinking about those three legs of the stool and how those impact leadership how those impact teams has, has really been a become a core part of uh, of, of my story and of, of the story that uh, that i help organizations through the um thank you for that the uh we always i always push very hard for the word morale yeah. i i was in the military and and i like uh i specialize in behavior uh, behavioral-based leadership, behavioral-based safety, how do you break it down between behaviors and process, right? And so if you've got direction, the center line is a culmination of good behavior with the right tool or the good process brings on good business, right? So if I give you a chainsaw and you don't know how to operate it, one, can you start it? And if you start it, you're probably going to cut something off of yours. You're more chances of you getting hurt without the proper skill as you've defined, right? Yeah. So the, the morale is a key question that I ask all the businesses. If you have good morale, what does that look like? So the definition of morale is the mindset or the desire of an organization, of an individual or a team of individuals to perform a task, to achieve a task. So when you think about it, it means that, wow, there it, you, when you unpack that, 
means that you need to achieve something. You need to do something. There needs to be a result. Therefore, to be able to get that result, they need to have the desire to do that as a team. So how do you create that desire within the organization to give you what you need? And if you have a solid mindset, culture, call it whatever you want, then you always get more from your employees. Instead of being transactional, you are transformational and the individuals provide you. I th in your story, I can just imagine, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a biologist. <laughs> <Far Me neither>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I can just imagine, think of the, of the morale issue that the entire, I don't know if you call it a tribe of orangutan or a group of whatever it was. So sure, imagine yeah. the other orangutans, they were kind of looking at Fu Manchu and going, hey, shit, man, you going to like crack the door today? Yeah. And, then they, they, and so day one goes by, they go, oh, man, he didn't get it done today. Day two. Yeah. And so you can just imagine the morale of the organization of of leaning on of not providing the right tools to your leaders right that, yeah. th this is where i'm pushing it so imagine if you're not providing the right tools to your leaders and you go well you know what do you want what do you want what do you want well you know get it done or or that really empty delegation that a lot of leaders do it you know i have an open door policy you need anything come and see me but it's not reciprocal so yeah. i can just what from what you've brought you can impact the morale by not having the right tool for your supervisor yeah. in your story right yeah, yeah. and I'll, I'll tell you i mean one of the other one of my other stories kind of from the from the philippines uh i you know when i first got there i i came from manufacturing i'd spent you know 12 years in manufacturing at that point and then i moved to the philippines and they're like all right ryan you could manage our shared service center right you can mm -hmm. and i get there and there's 180 people with lap with the uh, laptops and desktop computers and i'm like where's the inventory like where's the waiting like where's the waste <laughs> at i don't know right I i'm just looking there and I i'm a little bit lost and uh and, and i started to this was that was really where you know my career went from managing a dozen people to managing a very large team of teams. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and as I started looking at that, I, I started realizing I've got to, well, let me tell one other story. The, the, my sort of second in command there in the Philippines, mm -hmm. uh, her name was Riza. She was the, the manager of the biggest group of people that I was managing. And, uh, and she came to me one day and she said, boss, don't you trust me? Right. And boss, you went, don't you uh -huh. trust me? And, and I went, all, all your neurons are like, going, what? Yeah, what my, my head's like exploding, right? Like, yeah. she's an important person for me to be successful. She just asked me, don't you trust me? And in, in Philippine culture, that's uh, that's a pretty uncomfortable mm -hmm. thing to go and ask your your senior leader. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I immediately I said, all right, let's let's go sit down. Help me understand. And um, and she she was started to articulate to me how I was sort of micromanaging her team and she was doubting whether or not I was trusting her ability to lead that team. And, uh, and, and that was a really eye-opening experience for me as, as we sort of looked at, all right, how are we going to create the framework so that our, these teams can be successful? Because part of the team, part of the reason I was moved to the Philippines was to solve some problems that were going mm -hmm. on. I wasn't just there to, you know, keep the status quo and kick up my feet mm -hmm. on a desk. Um, so we had to figure out, a framework to make it happen. And, uh, and, and so one of the tools is sort of a, you know, I've kind of talked about some quirky mm -hmm. things was I started having each of the teams make a mind map of their mm -hmm. processes. And, uh, and as they started, they actually covered the walls of one of our conference rooms mm -hmm. and it, it looked like a jungle in there. They had yarn going between, <laughs> they, they, it took on a life of its own. And, uh, and to me, that was a moment where I could look on a Friday at lunchtime, which is about one o'clock in the morning. I could look at a Friday at one o'clock in the morning and see standing room only outside of that conference room that people were going in there and engaging and wanting to hear about other people's processes and figure out how do mm -hmm. these things connect together. And, uh, and that was a moment where I felt like I could sit back as a leader, put my feet up on the desk, maybe figuratively, because the team had started owning it. They were yeah. energized. They were excited. I was no longer micromanaging. I was no longer trying to get into the details of 
I, I you can't do that when you've got 200, you know, almost 200 oh, people no. at that point. There's no way. You can't do that. You don't know what's what everybody's doing on a given day. You've got to create an environment in which they can thrive. And uh, and that was really a moment for me that I look back on. As you and I talked earlier about, you mm. know, sort of being an entrepreneur and, you know, working in big corporations versus, you know, having a small team or when I first started, it was a solopreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, looking at that and saying, how do we create the right environment to engage people with morale, energy, mindset that uh, that takes on a life of its own? So as a leader, we can start to take a step back and and give them the the ability to be successful. And uh, and that's that to me is probably the most rewarding thing when we, when we see those types of things happening. There's um. There's different levels of, of leadership, and I, I want to kind of give the audience what I think about uh, the certain levels of, of decision-making or problem-solving that you have. So in, in Kaizen, you have Gemba Kaizen, which is as close to the ground as possible. So you want to keep the decision-making as close as possible to the ground, and that's what you're seeing. You know, they're engaging, and instead of you telling uh, Riza what to do so that she could tell other people what to do, which is very transactional, you kind of step back and you went and say, okay, so now you're, you're solving your own problems. So that is the facilitation. So you have Gemba Kaizen, which is the employee, the person who actually makes money. They create widgets. They offer the service. They're talking to clients. And then after that, you increase it to a frontline supervisor. A frontline supervisor has some type of you know, lead tech, they're still a technician, but they're, they're responsible for making sure that they mentor. Then you have leader of leaders, which is different than a manager. A lot of people think, oh, that person's a manager. Well, you might be good at process, but a horrible people person, right? And so it's okay to have a manager who manages systems, but don't put that person as a leader of leaders, the leader of leaders, right? Then you have the executive. An executive format is not necessarily in like you're the executive of the company, but you have a strategic component of what you need, you need to do to execute the decision-making. And those are the four level, you know, you have personal leadership, you have frontline leadership, and you move on. So the four things that are consistent, in my opinion, for doing what you're talking about is... I think you nailed the second one really good is with good direction. You have to have good direction. That's number one. Number two is facilitation, not dictation, not direction. You need to facilitate. And I think that that's, I was an operator for a long time as well. And so I'd go in and I'd say, well, an operator in in the military. So I was very good at command and control. And then the day that I realized that when you let go, when you're facilitating, when you're empowering, there's a lot more shit that gets done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, a- absolutely. 100%. Um, 100%. And then the third one is elevate. And I think that for me is how do you elevate the individual in the food chain, in that Gemba methodology, so that you're not making the decisions for them. They're educated. They're knowledgeable. They have the capacity and capability to be able to make the decisions. And the last one and I think that that is something that uh, the the I want to take your your orangutan because I think it it is critical in a lot of how we operate. We make fun of it, but can you see me? Can you hear me? Do I matter? Right. So when I visualize those those three pillars, the three. Uh, the three pillars that the stool is on, the three legs, it just supports the individual. Like the orangutan is the frontline supervisor, is the is the worker. But what's underneath it is something that you don't focus on, but is critical, absolutely critical, for somebody to feel good, to have an amazing mindset. If you don't have that underneath, yep. then. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to unpack. Sorry. I was just like, whoa, the orangutan just blows my mind. <laughs> I, I know I've seen an orangutan live, a male orangutan. It is the size of a beetle. Like yeah. a car Volkswagen beetle. It is a <laughs> massive animal. Don't ever think that orangutan is nice. And it's, it scares the shit out of you. It's massive. That's right. That's right. I, I think, 
yeah, I think I think you've hit the the key points there spot on. That um, creating an environment, creating a framework, creating some direction for people to go, and uh, and helping them to see that vision is uh, is really a core part of it. And then as leaders, we want to support them and make sure the legs of the stool are holding out, holding the orangutan up, or holding the supervisor, holding the worker, holding people up, and uh, and propping them up to be successful. And, uh, you know, so I, I view all of us as a journey. I mean, I hope that I'm still having conversations with guys like you, you know, 25 years from now as I continue my career and learn something and, and you know, banter about these types of things. Because um, I think the moment we believe that we've got it all figured out is the uh, is the moment we start dying. Right. It's, it's oh. the moment that, you know, <laughs> and as leaders, I, I, I see this sometimes that, um Technical experts sometimes get promoted into leadership roles, oh. and uh, and being a technical expert is not does not necessarily translate into building teams and building, uh, you know, coaching people and and you know, in fact, it can have quite a negative effect when the leader feels that they need to be technically competent and need to show their technical competence. It can actually have a really detrimental effect on the on the team. So, oh, I don't think um, it can. It has. It does. So you think about it. He goes, he or she goes, I was promoted because I am good technically. So I'm going to repeat that technical methodology. Now I'm influencing more people instead of just influencing my own work. Now I'm yeah. responsible for, you know, 10 to 12 other people. And they're going like, oh. Jim or Joanne is such an asshole, right? They, they <laughs> micromanage us and they do this and they do that. And it's not their fault when you think about it because the leadership is saying, we recognize the behavior you've had and they're promoting that behavior. So that is, that's on them, not on, uh, that's on the leadership, not on the individual. They're just doing yeah. what they're doing. I can, I'm, I can think of how many professional athletes that you can think of that were amazing professional athletes and then you put them in a coaching position and I think for me one of the the Montreal Canadiens back in the day where Mario Tremblay was an amazing hockey player they put him as coach and he destroyed that organization because he did not he was a passionate hockey player great hockey player but so passionate that he didn't know how to lead people properly Right. So um, and then you look at the New England Patriots, you know, they you can't you can't. Yeah. <laughs> the man's got a lot of rings and the man's got a lot of rings. You don't even have to go far to see. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, so anyways. So tell us about. So you've now left the corporate world. You have an idea for a new business. Was it was the book at the like what came first? Kind of tell us how you built what you currently have now and so what is what you've got now and then let's build a journey to it sure so yeah so the uh the book uh, probably the first version of the book i mean if i go back to the first version of the book it was sort of outlined about 12 years ago mm -hmm. uh, you know I, I started having this idea of around the you know people and process and purpose and mm -hmm. and uh, and sort of you know how these things fit together mm -hmm. but um you know, leaving the corporate world and starting my own company w wasn't just like an easy thing, right? It wasn't mm -hmm. just like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, all right, so my paychecks have stopped. Now I'm going to you know, start doing this stuff. So uh, when I first started, I was really doing a lot of consulting work where it was mm -hmm. just me jumping on airplanes, flying around the world, visiting people that I knew, you know, s helping solve problems. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then well, I, w I went through an experience where I lost a big customer. And mm. up until this point in my life, I had never gone through this before. I hope it's okay if I'm kind of transparent with your audience here. I, about two, three years into it, uh, I, I had a big customer pull back from me. And, uh, and I, I started going through some depression and anxiety. I started mm. looking at, and I had never experienced that before. Um, and I went through a period of time for about six months where I wasn't sleeping. I was anxious. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what's going on, right? And, uh, and, and I was sort of, you know, looking at it and trying to understand 
what am I supposed to learn from this? How is this, you know, how is this making me, who am I as a person? Mm -hmm. All those types of questions going through my mind. And, uh, and I had a couple of employees at the time and I was trying to, you know, just navigate all of that and trying to hold it together. And, uh, then what I learned was when COVID hit on March 13th of 2020, right? <laughs> I can remember the day. So, so you asked me about a day earlier, like uh, when was the day I became an entrepreneur? Uh, March 13th of 2020, I was driving home from my last business trip and uh, I was traveling all the time. I was on the road um, three weeks, sometimes mm-hmm. four weeks in a month, Monday through Friday, and I was getting burned out. Mm-hmm. I didn't really see it, but I was. And I was driving home and every single project we had was canceled that day because everything that I had built my business around was built around going on site, facilitating Kaizen events, Gemba, mm-hmm. you know, work, facilitating, working with, with teams around these things. Every project I had on March 13th of 2020 that I had built up for three years by that point, uh, or four years was, was just gone. And, uh, and what I learned in that moment is sort of that experience I had a couple of years before where I was, you know, depressed and anxious and, you know, mm-hmm. praying and just trying to figure out who am I as a person mm-hmm. was preparing me for that moment. And I was driving from Cincinnati back to the Chicago area. And I started, I was like, I just said some prayers. I'm like, all right, God, what do you got for us now? Mm-hmm. And instead of getting depressed, depressed and anxious, I looked at it as a new opportunity to figure out this business and what we were really going to do. And, uh, and that, what's that? That's been about two years, two, a little bit over two years ago now. And, uh, and I started hiring some of my former team members back in the Philippines. And we've mm-hmm. got a software development team now. And we're helping organizations to clarify processes, simplify processes, document them, and ultimately even execute on them. So we're, mm-hmm. we've created kind of a, a shared service organization there. Um, we're building this software platform around uh, around process documentation to help people with a simple way, a clear way on how to uh, uh, enable small to mid-sized businesses to do what the bigger companies do. And, uh, and we're just finding great success with it. I'm, I'm just having a blast. Uh, like hiring some of those people again and making my whole business virtual and uh, and just navigating that. As an entrepreneur, you know, in a big corporation, you sort of have all these resources, right? It's like, you know, I need IT. Oh, yeah. You know, I've got got a whole team we can put on that. right? You you need a sales team, Salesforce. Let's just, you know, put the new marketing platform in front of them. Um, When it's your own money and your own business um, and something like COVID (laughs) hits, right? It's like it's, you know, I got to pay the bill still, right? (laughs) Uh, So... Those those learning experiences as an entrepreneur, as a um, you know, the a second or third time you know entrepreneur. Now, uh, those it, I look back now, and it's just it's a lot of fun. I think my faith has grown. I think all, all these things just all right. How do we just do good things for other people, build relationships, on which we can ultimately succeed and succeed together. So uh, so that's become a big part of the journey there. It's uh. I help a lot of I, I I I've seen some pretty horrific things in my military career. You know, I I buried children. Um that really hit me hard with PTSD and stuff like that. So when you know, being shot at, shooting back at people, you know, death and smells and stuff like that, when you come back to the western world, the peaceful world, and people flip out on different things. I always kind of pull people back and I say, hey, listen, like recenter. You know, when when I was alone in one in one event, um, you start. OK, so how do I how do I live the next five minutes? So you kind of pull back. You kind of recenter. Everything's happening in the world. You kind of bring it down and focus. I don't want to say it's like a mental f- meditation when you're in combat things slow down when you have this this event of survival when you're you're primal everything kind of slows down and it's it's really cool to feel but not back then right <laughs> <laughs> so you're, those, you're, those experiences we learn from and we you know yeah so if, if we can harness that energy i think in the right way and thank thank you for your service by the way that's far more powerful than 
you know, I lost a customer and I went through this. Right? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. But that, it it that, seems meaningless. But but yeah, it's but that the point mental is energy, that, right? The, the the point of the matter is that you're, you're you're regardless if you're getting shot at or not, the human reaction is similar. It's survival. Like you're like, oh shit, I've lost all my clients, and I I don't know how many kids you had back then, and if if your partner works or not, and you're like, shit, will I pay my bills? That's right. <laughs> yeah, you know, will I be able yeah. to put food on the table? You know, I don't want to tell my kids that they can't go to soccer practice. You know. Yeah. Will I will I be able to pay my mortgage? Right. Those are those are, are are as primal survival because our survival is different now, right? It's not life or death. Well, it is life or death, but the 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 threats are different. They're more fiscal than anything else. Yeah. And when you recenter, you say, okay, all right, I can't control everything, but what can I control? And yeah. then you go, okay, so I'm healthy. My wife is healthy. My kids are healthy. Okay, great. What do I do next? Okay, business is not going so well. Is there anything that can salvage? No. Okay. So how do I gently look at the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing? And I think too many people try to connect all the dots when you say, hey, let's just take one step at a time. Yeah. Figure it out. Right? It's a, to bring it back to your point, where's my mindset? Yeah. Right? Do I have the skills to get out of this? this whole nine times out of 10 is probably yes. Right. Nine times out of 10. Now, do I have the right tools? Okay. So I might have to buy a tool or not, but do I, do I really need a, you know, a 1500, you know, the wall tool set, or can I go and get, you know, a multi-bit screwdriver? Will that do for now? Right. That's just kind of thinking, you know, what tools can you, can you take? But I think the most critical part is, Where's your head at? And I think yeah. that, and, and you've got the stools, and if you've got those three, those three legs, then you're the orangutan. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so you kind of adjust the the seat on there. Um, for those who are listening, the word entrepreneur comes from the French word to entreprendre. To, to, so entreprendre is to take on. And so a lot of people think that to as entrepreneurs doesn't mean that you're a good leader is you're a good starter. You're good at building things at great ideas, but at a certain point you should hand off to people who are used to dealing with process people and my, and not mindset, uh, purpose, purpose. Exactly. Yeah. Thank yep. you. Exactly. And I, I think, you know, so I get a ton of joy out of collaborating with other CEOs and helping them to look at and assess their business and look at, you know, where, what's working and not working and those type of things, but rebuilding my team or building my team now with some of my former colleagues, um, in the Philippines and, uh, and stepping back into that leadership role again, where we're looking at it and saying, all right, how do we, it, it it's been humbling but exciting when I've reached out to some of the folks who used to work for me and ask them, would you like to come? Here's what we're building. Would you like to become, be a part of it? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I had one of them recently who told me, uh, he said, well, I already quit my job because or I already, I already handed in my resignation because I heard you might be calling me. <laughs> and I thought to me, this was exciting. Like, I'm like, you know what? I left an impression with the people that I was leading that they want to come, you know, and in today's environment where we hear about these, uh, the great resignation and the great reshuffle mm. and um, employees being disengaged and these type of things. When I call a former employee and say, would you like to come work for me? And they say, I already handed in my resignation because I had to give 30 days notice and I heard you might be calling. As, as a leader, this is humbling to say, wow, this person's putting their trust in me and they don't even know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> but but it's also exciting to see as entrepreneurs, as leaders, if we can create those cultures where that, that draw people towards a vision, towards an idea, um, that's just exciting, I think. And uh, um, especially with so much disengagement in the workforce today. I call it singularity of purpose. So... I was I worked for BNSF Railways as a consultant to help operations, and there's this gentleman who had been a railroader. Railroader. His father was a railroader, and I think it was Spokane or somewhere in the in in the West. 
and and this older gentleman, and uh, we're sitting down. We're we're conversing between unions and management, and and uh, and this gentleman just kind of puts his hand up and doesn't talk. He's like, "When did we lose singularity of purpose?" And I'm like, so he he's actually sitting just to my left. And it was like, well, maybe 50, 60 people in the room. And, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> that just gave me goosebumps, right? And you're like, the guy doesn't say anything. He says, when did we lose singularity of purpose between union reps, unions, and management, and leadership, and clients? And I'm like, Man, that is, can I steal that? Can I? Can I? Can I <laughs> did, get that? Did he trade that? Did he trademark that? <laughs> no, 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 no. But that, so then it brought yeah. it back, right? So, so um, in the military, you know, you had missions and objectives. So it was mission critical. So mission critical it says, oh, it was, was the same thing as singularity purposes. If it's not mission critical, you don't do it. And then if you look at Tim Ferriss, he's got the acronym DEAL, Direction, Elimination, Automation, Liberation. So how do you create, it's kind of similar, that singularity of purpose to be able to align. And uh, we, had a, we had a prospect just on Friday call me up and he said, holy shit. I go, what? He's like, your team are all alike. I said, that's not true. We've got diversity. And so I took offense to it. Like, dude, I am super inclusive. Like we have, we, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, inclusive mindset, in, inclusive yeah. religion, inclusive. Like <laughs> I work hard <laughs> to make sure that we're inclusive. Right? He's like, no, 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 that's not the point. He's like, everybody is happy. Okay. Yeah. Everybody, our number one core value is get shit done. He's like, yeah. everybody says get shit done all the time. And everybody's well-grounded. Everybody acts on data. So all of our core values are really demonstrated. And I said, I work my ass off. Not just me, but yeah. my, my COO, Kevin. We are people first kind of individual. And it's like, not people. We look at economics and all that good stuff. Without money, there's no, there's no people. Yeah. Right? When we, you know, it's like a 51-49. If there's a decision that needs to be made for people, we always pick people first. Right. Because without people, nothing gets done. So we're always kind of in that mindset. And I said, we encourage that. So now we've got we've been able to. The companies that we work with are now turning going. Right? And it's kind of they want to work for us. So you kind of yeah. not a shame, but you kind of like, uh, like, sorry, <laughs> like the clients, employees go, hey, I want to work for Urgio. And you're like, yeah, yeah you kind of. You kind of are indirectly, <laughs> but then we embed. And then as we yeah. work with the organization, they feel that there's a culture shift. So we, what we do is we put yeah. general managers, right? They're Urgio general managers. So when we do, we're very, um, I, I say, I'll say the word assertive or bold into saying, well, the management team needs to go, right? Yeah. Unless you add critical value, it's not because we're, we're mean. It's because we know what we're doing. Yeah. We're a SWAT team. So I don't want, you want to get there fast, let the experts do their job. You know, you can still get paid and all that good stuff, but just get out of the way to, and then, but what we do is that we embed that leadership, that operational excellence mindset of putting people first and, and making sure that the people see the value flow to the customer inside the organization. We can turn that around pretty darn quick. And that, Ryan is I think our key to success. Because for yeah. process, I mean, they can come see you, they can come see us, they can come yeah. see, they've got Kaizen, you've got Agile, yeah. you got EOS, you got scaling yeah. up, there's a whole bunch of process. What's the difference? Yeah. What is the difference that you sell? And I think that's the reason why we're so successful is because we can bring that that singularity of purpose mindset. Yeah. Sorry, I well, just went on I, rant. I, I just... This, this, is, this is really, I, I love that, uh, I love the way that you articulated that. You asked a little bit earlier sort of how the book came to fruition, and I told you mm. that first draft was probably 10, 12 years ago. But the, the moment that it all became clear to me how it all was going to fit together was about a year ago. I went to something called the Purpose Summit. Um, it was in Detroit, Michigan. The, the, it was, I think, the second one they had done. It, you know, we hadn't been going to many, uh, you know, 
uh, events or things like that because of COVID. And I, I went to this one. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go and see what this is all about. And as I was there and as I started really just for two and a half days reflecting on purpose, like that's all the conference was about was purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I I had a conversation with the CEO of Purpose Point, the company that, uh, that put it on. And uh, I was explaining to him about you know, my people and process and purpose leads to performance. And he said, he actually told me this gentleman, Davin, he told me, he said, Ryan, you've got it backwards. And I said, no, I've got my equation is purpose plus people plus process equals performance. Performance is the, and he said, he said, what if you thought about it and, and you put purpose at the end that you're trying to fulfill a purpose instead of trying to fit purpose in at the beginning, like trying to force it in. Ooh. And he said, what if the purpose that an organization had was the ultimate goal instead of performance being the ultimate goal? So your performance should fulfill your purpose. Correct. And uh, and he had this debate with me. And at the time, I was a little bit offended. I'm like, I don't know. I'm an equation guy. I'm a chemical <laughs> finance guy. Like I, I like, know math. <laughs> what, what are you messing with my equation for? Right. And uh, but as I started reflecting on it, it all became clear to me what I really wanted to build my vision in the book around. And the sentence that I tell people is that clearly aligned processes should enable your people to perform and ultimately fulfill your organization's purpose. And this became something that I could very strongly believe in. It's that sort of, as you called it, the singularity of purpose. Why does your organization exist? Where do you want to go and why do you want to go there? That's the, and then, Everything else should be built to fulfill that. And, uh, and that's what the, that's where the rocket ship, by the way, comes from mm-hmm. in my book is the orangutan is that sort of starting point of, all right, we got to have the right, you know, person's got to have this tool, skills, mindset, that, that type of thing. But the rocket ship became a, around our purpose is the nose cone of the rocket ship. Where are you going and why are you going there? And then the product or your payload should should align with your purpose, right? You don't mm-hmm. you're not going to be you know you're not going to be selling illegal products if you're you know an ethical company, right? Mm-hmm. So your purpose and product are sort of the the payload, your nose cone, and then you've got performance. How do you define your performance metrics that should be in line with your product and your purpose, your vision of where you're going? Mm-hmm. And then you've got people, and and people don't aren't the fourth in line because they're the fourth most important, but one of the things I find is that organizations that don't have clearly defined purposes, that that's metrics don't line up with their purpose. For mm-hmm. example, they say, oh, our purpose is to be a more sustainable packaging company or something. Mm-hmm. But the only metrics their people ever hear about are the profitability and cost per unit. <laughs> right. That, that misalignment there, it throws people completely off because the employees no longer believe that the purpose is really the purpose you want to be because they're being hammered on metrics that are not aligned with that purpose and they get confused and frustrated and they get disappointed and, and they get, you know, all those things that happen. And, and process is actually at the bottom of the rocket ship because the processes should react, should respond, should enable the people to, you know, follow their GPS, their, their roadmap mm-hmm. to get to that purpose, that focus on where we're going and why we're going there. And uh, it, he, when he first told me, I, I pushed back against it. I bristled mm-hmm. against it. I'm like, no, that's not right. I want purpose to be first in my equation. Yeah. But when I started, that was the moment when the whole book became clear to me that, you know, this rocket ship purpose is not, you know, we're not going to try to like wedge it in there. Like, mm-hmm. all right, we're going to start with this purpose has got to be the vision of where and why, and everything else should align to that. And your process is really at the bottom. I like helping people with process because that's who I am and that's my mm-hmm. thing. But I only want to enable people to be successful at getting where they want to go. And uh, and as that became more clear, my business just became stronger and stronger and stronger uh, with with that clarity. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of been the journey we've been on. It's uh, I want to I want to tell a story about frustration on really demonstrating the right or putting what are you measuring so when i used to travel a lot i'd come home on fridays i had consultants around the world coming on usually friday and uh i'd kiss my wife 
you know, and then kids would be coming in. And the first thing that I would do is I would go back into my office. And the reason of that was I wanted to close out all my expenses. I didn't want to have to think about it over the weekend so that I could maximize my time with family. Well, those were my intentions. But what my actions were demonstrating was you've been away from the, the entire family, you son of a bitch, for the entire week. <laughs> And the first thing you do is lock yourself up. I didn't clarify the expectations, didn't clarify what I was measuring, the measure of success to say, hey, listen, hey, Tracy, I'm coming home and I need two hours of quiet time so that I can close that off and so that I can be fully focused 100%. Oh, yeah. absolutely, my love. I'd be delighted to, you know, make sure... I, at four o'clock, if you're done, if you're not done, let's call it quits, okay? I'm like, aye, aye, captain, let's go. And yeah. so leadership in understanding the relationship between all the Ps that Ryan has mentioned is your job. It's, it's not black. It's not white. It's diluted. It's, it, it, it's process. A lot of people think that process is black and white. This is, no, quality, it's fine-tuning, it's balancing things, it's giving, it's taking. It's like being in a marriage day in, day out, where you're always looking to, I don't want to say uh, give in to something. What's the word I'm looking for? It's it's collaborating, not compromising, Right. How, and you can't focus on everything all the time. So a little bit more energy here, a little bit more energy there. You want to grow your revenue, then you have to kill profitability. You want to build profitability, then sometimes you have to let go of revenue for a little bit. So there's a lot of things that go into it. But I think the key thing, I think that you do and that you've been doing, and there's one thing that I really want to focus on that Ryan did and mentioned at the beginning of the show is with Riza. He said, hey, let me help me understand. He demonstrated curiosity, which I think is one of the masters, that one of the key behaviors that a leader can have is to be curious. Okay, what's the situation? How can I help? What's going on? Hey, hold on a second. I screwed up here. Okay, how did I screw up? I don't want to screw up again. How can I help? Right? And that's... Ryan did it without even thinking and showing that that, that create that creates trust. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate that insight. I mean, I, I've, I've been loving this conversation because <laughs> you know, the, the stories you've shared and the, the questions you've asked, it, you know, the curiosity, I, I agree with you 100% that curiosity, seeking to understand, that's one of the things when I was living in other countries, starting to truly understand different cultures is uh, w gave me very different and new perspectives about why different people do different things. And, and by the way, Riza took over my role. Like she actually ended up being promoted into my role when I left. She got a expat job in Germany a, a couple of years later. I mean, she, her career just kept taking off and, that day she was thinking about quitting. She, she told me after that, she's like, I didn't feel like I was necessary. I didn't feel, I think you mentioned earlier, Martin, about, you know, am I seen? Am I heard? Am, you know, do I um, matter? Yeah. Do, do I matter? And, and that's what she was feeling. And I didn't, until she walked up to me and said, boss, don't you trust me? I didn't recognize that. And, uh, I think as, as leaders, it, it, that moment, reflecting on that moment has made me maybe more aware for other people. I'm like, you know what? Why is that person acting that way, right? Is, and and you, as a leader, you can't be too hypersensitive. Like you're always, like every yeah, time yeah. somebody, you know. But, <laughs> but we also need to be able to recognize those things and recognize those moments and ask those questions. Um, and if we do it out of genuine empathy and caring, uh, the loyalty that we build is uh, is incredible, and uh, yeah, so those are great uh, great points. I I I think of how critical that one action from Riza, when you think about it, from what you've said, right? If she had decided not to have a courageous conversation with you, not to be brave, 
Now, again, I'm I'm assuming from wh- what I'm seeing right now is that you were very approachable as well. So it, it wasn't like a oh my god, and I'm gonna face you know a lion and I'm gonna stick my head into it. Uh, you know, she was courageous enough to come see you. You did provide an open and, and honest opportunity to provide feedback. But when you think about it, if she wouldn't have chosen that, how different her path would have been. One single yeah. action. Yeah. One single action. That rocket ship, man. If you don't yeah. point it in the right direction. That's right. Um, yeah. Ryan, okay, so we've got your book. Your book is called? From Orangutan to Rocket Scientist. How to lead and engage your team with effective process. So that's the uh, that's the book. Booyah! Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question because I I you and I I think could talk for hours and hours and hours. So I think maybe we do a part two, uh, or we dive down deeper in, into the book. Okay, at the exception of your book, what is the other piece of material? It could be a movie. It could be a saying, it could be a coach that told you something, it could be a church leader, whatever. What is the one piece of reference that you've always fallen back to? Oh, man. It's hard there, one, eh? that, That's a hard one. There are, there are several. And uh, What comes um, to mind? You know, I, I think probably... Oh, you put me on the spot and I'm trying to, I, I, I've, my mind's like crashing, right? So I think probably the, the, the biggest one, um, I met a gentleman probably about four or five years ago. His name was Joe Slawick. And, uh, and, and I started a conversation with him and he started telling me, he actually gave me his book. It's called the 14 ingredients for success in life and business. Um, he ended up selling his business, uh, about a year and a half ago to uh, for about 750 million dollars so he's got success in life right in, in business uh he's been very successful in life he's a uh, um I, I met him through a connection at, a, at the church we were going to and uh and he started sharing with me about leading with authenticity and leading with um you know leading with the uh you know it's okay to share your faith it's okay to be who you are don't try to just be who everybody else wants you to be. Don't try to, you know, don't try to be different ways. And, uh, and it took me a while for that to sink in. But, uh, you know, I told you about that depression anxiety mm-hmm. I went through. And, uh, and coming out of that, I was sitting with a group of men. He, he wasn't there that day, but it was a group of men who he had together from time to time. And, uh, and I shared a little bit about the struggles that I had gone mm-hmm. through. And one of them looked at me and he said, Ryan, and this, this gentleman's like 60, mid, mid 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked at me and he said, you know, Ryan, uh, I went through the same thing in 2008, 2009. I thought I was going to lose my entire business. And this guy is somebody who, you know, he's got a dozen buildings around town here with his name on them. And uh, I started learning that authenticity, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to share with other people. I was afraid to share something like that with such a, successful businessman that I'd gone through these things that I, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think I keep going back to, uh, leading with authenticity, sharing those, uh, those challenges we've gone through instead of just hiding them and trying to look, uh, you know, the picture sometimes comes to mind of a duck, right? A a duck Mm -hmm. looks very calm on the pond out back there, (laughs) but his, but his feet are going like nuts underneath. And, uh, and the more I've become open and authentic based on the, the advice of, of some of these people in my life, the more that other people have started opening up to me and relationships have become stronger and stronger. And, uh, and the older I get, maybe, I started to appreciate and understand just how, how important relationships are. More than money, more than making money tomorrow, more than, you know. How do we how do we build relationships with authenticity that, that will last a lifetime? And uh, and I think Joe was probably the person who really started that uh, domino effect in my life as I started looking at my business and, and thinking about it in different ways. So, oh, it, yeah. uh, I agree. That's the one thing, too. I agree that I don't pretend to be somebody else. Now, everybody that sees me sees Martin for who Martin is. You talk to <laughs> Martin on a podcast, you talk to Martin and uh it's funny because at our quarter, our last quarterly meeting at the end of June, uh, 
one of our team members was felt that they were uh, being, I don't want to say oppressed, but my being of be who I was, um, they felt oppressed and and belittled. And, uh, and again, not my intention whatsoever. And uh, I just, I, 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 I teared up. I had to stand up, turn around, because that was not my intention. And I, I sincerely apologize. And I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I'm crying in front of the leadership team. Yeah. Like, this is not good, right? This I couldn't hold it in. And the feedback that I got was like, I am doubling down on you, Martin. Like, I, from everybody, I got texts from the people I got after when we went for dinner after that. People took me aside and they said, Martin, you are so courageous. And I said, you know, coming from an old guy who's been in the army, who is, you know, SF, who's played rugby all his life, jumped out of airplanes, you know, been shot at, shot at people. Like, you, I shouldn't be crying in front of a whole bunch of people. And, and yet, it was who I was at that moment that made everybody believe in even more in my leadership so no i I hear you oh my goodness i think authenticity in relationships i mean it's uh um it's been it's been a it's been a really good journey as i've started investing more in that and less in you know look i've been blessed i mean god's blessed me in so many ways and you know uh, you know relationships and authenticity are, are far more important than money um, money will come, money will go, and uh, at the end of the day, we gotta we gotta fulfill our purpose, right? When when you go when you go in, in the graveyard, they don't put the amount of money that was in your bank account <laughs> when you died, right? They they put your name, I think. <laughs> I, go, I don't know. I don't want to go there if I don't have to. Uh, <laughs> every morning on the I'm on the right side of the gravestone. That's that's, that's what I. That's right. <laughs> uh, Ryan, I think we're ha- gonna have to do a part two, man. I think we're gonna have to dive into your book. <laughs> That'd, that'd be and awesome. Talk about thought process. <laughs> look, I've loved this conversation and uh, appreciate your perspectives on people and purpose. I think we're very well aligned in some of the things we're talking about, and uh, and I you know really want to thank you for your service and you know appreciate uh, the the challenges that that I'm sure you've been through in uh, in some of the things you alluded to. So thank you. Um, it's it. a it's a big deal. So. I'm an old man now. I'm an old, oh, 50. I'm not that old, but anyways, <laughs> that's what I say. I got bum hip. Uh, with that being said, thanks again. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operations. So please like and subscribe. Click the notification bell. And the YouTube numbers have been going up. So a lot of people are watching more than listening. Uh, not more than listening, but a lot more people are watching. So Ryan, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.